We've already termed Martine Madness as Martine Natchez for the Carolina Hurricanes scored with point two or point three seconds. It's been listed as both to force their game Saturday into overtime in Philadelphia. And then Sebastian Ajo's third goal of the game won it as he completely undressed Tony D'Angelo for the second time in his career. Former teammate. How you do a former teammate like that, Sebastian? Uh, but the Hurricanes rescued two points from where there was none. And at the same time, I mean at the same exact time, Florida was rallying from a 2 nothing deficit at home to beat the New Jersey Devils. And what should have been Carolina behind New Jersey by one, which would have been three based on the Devils' result yesterday in Tampa, is actually Carolina now up by one with two games in hand. And we are down to the short straws. Basically three and a half weeks of the season left. Pete Blackburn from Bally Sports covers the sport of hockey, and he was with us right after the stadium game uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, a month, a few weeks, it's a month ago now, and he joins us on the Adam Gold Show. Uh, sir, thank you for your time. Let's uh, let's get into the, we'll start with the Metro, and then we'll fan out to the East. Uh, right now, it's obvious. Hurricanes are going to make it. The Devils and the Rangers are going to be, the, those two teams will be one, two, and three in some order. Uh, right now, it's Carolina, New Jersey. The Rangers, New Jersey, and Carolina could jockey back and forth. The Rangers are not out of it. And with two games against the Hurricanes this week, the Rangers could get within two of Carolina. So how do you see those three teams stacking up against each other? And then we'll worry about who's fourth. Are you talking about Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers? Yes. I, I mean, I think that there's a 1A and 1B there, right? And it's Carolina and New Jersey. I think that those two teams are the class of uh, of that that division. And then you talk about the Rangers. Yeah, they're sexy. They they obviously <laughs> had a bunch of big ads at the deadline. They got some big names. I just I don't trust their defense. I don't trust their defense to carry them on a deep playoff run. I just I don't like what they have on the back end. We saw it with the Florida Panthers last year. They had like a historically good offense right. during the regular season. You can't outscore your problems in the playoffs. It just isn't how right. it works. So uh, I don't. I'm I'm not looking at the Rangers in the same echelon as as the other two teams there. No. And the, the I think the other issue for the Rangers is that Igor Shesterkin is not the Igor Shesterkin of a year ago. Is that fair? Um, I don't know because it it. it it, he can be right, when it comes to the right. playoffs. Like it's a fresh slate in the playoffs. And yeah. I think that he's an all world goaltender. And uh, sometimes there is a switch with guys like that. And if, if the games matter, uh, matter the most, you could see the same Igor Shesterkin. So I'm, I'm certainly not willing to write him off. Are the devils as good defensively as they need to be? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I think the devils are a, a very, very good defensive team. They're very good with, uh, with getting the puck out of the zone quickly. I think they're, they're really, really structured. Um, I, I love what they have. The only, the only area of concern for me is what they have in net and whether that's going to hold up and be sustainable over the course of a long playoff run. Well, isn't that, I mean, I cover the hurricanes on a day in day out basis and if yeah. and I went on with uh, the fourth period uh, on Sirius XM over the weekend, and that's my number one fear yeah. right now. I mean, right, they don't have a goaltender that I would trust going into the postseason. 
Yeah, so I have a I have a few areas. Like I think the Carolina is a great team. I wanted to see them add a bit more at the deadline, and I believe that we talked about that yeah. um, uh, uh, about a month ago. You know, I wanted to see them solidify the center position. I wanted to see them add a little bit of a scoring touch on on the wing, and you know, they they made some smaller deals, obviously that that I liked in terms of value, but nothing that that moved the needle too significantly. Mm-hmm. And now with the injury to Sveshnikov, you're really I think you're really missing what you didn't do um at the deadline and so that's going to concern me but when we talk about the playoffs and going on a deep run arguably the most important thing to have is goaltending and i'm not fully secure in what the hurricanes have in that and that's exactly where i am pete blackburn from valley sports is joining us here on the adam gold show the uh, part of me wants part of me thinks that rod is really trying to get Pyotr kachetkov back to the Kachetkov that we saw for basically the entirety of November into December. There was about six weeks where he was it Linus Olmark, uh Piotr Kachet, like the two best goalies in the sport for almost all of that six week period from November into just just before the holidays hit. But he hasn't been that guy since. And right now Carolina's rotating their goalies back and forth, back and forth. And Piotr's gotten the tougher assignments than Freddie Anderson has. I just think that Rod's trying to maybe not force it, but he's trying to, he's giving Kachekov the chance to win that gig. Right. Like the door's open. If, if there's a, if there's an opening to be had, he, he's giving as much as he can for it to stay open. And uh, it's funny because I just, uh, I just did a, a hit uh, for, for Bally sports and um, we were talking about the Calder race. And I think that Maddie Beniers is going to win the Calder, sure. but I feel like that race died when Kachekov fell off and was sent down. Yep. It, like he was a guy that I was looking at. Okay. He can really uh, contest Maddie Beniers here in what seems like it might be a one horse race because of the impact that he's having in net for that team. And obviously it didn't, it hasn't worked out. And I think the going to win, but like Kachekov still could be that guy and be a difference maker for this team in the playoffs. I think his, his best is better than the other two options at their best. That's right. That's how good I think Kachekov has been at his best, but his baseline is lower than Freddie's. And they might yeah. just be like, well, Freddie, Freddie gives us a, you know, a, a steadier, uh, a steadier goaltender, even though he's not really great right now either. Canes will uh, take on the Rangers the next two nights. Uh, all right, so I can't – I haven't had the time to do this research, and I'm not thinking that you did either, but have you ever – Do you, can you recall a player with four late third-period game-tying goals in a season? Forget about the three overtime winners that Martin Natchez had. But .2 or .3 seconds left in Philly, he ties it. 12 seconds left against San Jose at home last month, he ties it. Uh, Then at Winnipeg, 39 seconds left. (laughs) He ties a game. They have no business uh, getting into overtime. And he did it in Philadelphia earlier this season with 2.05 left. That's just freakish, no? It is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm an analytics guy, right? Like okay. I, I look at all the numbers. I, I, you know, I like to have as much information as possible, but sometimes it's undeniable that there is an element to some guy has it. And some guy doesn't <laughs> when it comes to the clutch gene. Like, I, I think that there is a, uh, like a non tangible element to sports. And when a guy comes up in the final minute that many times, you kind of have to resign yourself to 
There's something we can't identify, but it exists. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, he's he's an incredible skater. I'll go back to the tournament, the uh, the playoffs where you were just playing in your division, and Carolina had to play Nashville. And the, as a team, Carolina wasn't playing very well. They were ahead in the series, but they weren't playing very well. And Natchez, down a goal, middle of the third period, had this ridiculous wraparound, you know, a hundred mile an hour goal that got them even, and they ultimately won it in overtime. Uh, he has a knack for scoring big goals, and uh, he's an electric player. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. Yeah, and uh, you know the the weird thing is that his overall game the last month hasn't been as good, but the scoring has not gone away. And a lot of players that it'll all go at the same time. Natchez has had some puck management issues, but he scored a bunch of really big goals, which makes you forget. That well, why did he make that pass? He was responsible for two goals against who they uh, they just lose to the other day. I'm just completely in Toronto. He he was responsible for two of their three goals in uh, against the Leafs. But he comes back and he has a big game. All right, of the uh, Panthers, Penguins, and Islanders, who's winning that battle, or which two teams are winning those battles for the wild card spot? So I think that the Penguins are, are going to end up in there just because they've, they've got talent. They've got good coaching. Like I would, I would take their, their coaching advantage over the other two. Uh, and yeah. I, I think that the Panthers are better than the Islanders, but the Islanders have better goaltending and goaltending could end up being the, be the difference there. Like Ilya Sorokin has been awesome, awesome all year long with a team that has not done him many favors in front of him. Yeah. So uh, if that holds, the Islanders will probably get in when they don't really deserve to be there. Uh, I would rather see the Panthers. Yeah, they're they're a fun team. No, no question. They look to be figuring it out as well. And final thing, Pete Blackburn, I appreciate your time. The Boston Bruins are five points away from clinching the division. And as I look, they've got 13 games left and we're five points from clinching the division. It is incredible. Toronto's got 93 points, and they can't even see the Bruins from where they are in the standings. How do you sum up what they are and also understanding that that doesn't matter when the playoffs start? So, like, it's been a real internal chaotic experience for me as a Bruins fan this season where I'm trying my best to (laughs) uh, enjoy it in the moment and not look too far ahead. And because, like, the expectations have shifted. Now now it's – if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's going to feel like a disappointment. But you also kind of have to live in the moment and be like, we're watching one of the best teams in the history of the NHL's regular season. And if you can't appreciate that, then why are you even watching games one through 82? Just start watching this team during the playoffs. And so uh, I'm wrestling with it, right? And, um, you know, you talk about, like, President's Trophy winners never win the Stanley Cup anymore. And it seems to be a curse more than it is a blessing. So it it is a hard reset once game one of the playoffs starts. So all of your laurels, you can't rest on them uh, starting game one of the playoffs. That being said, there is really not too much of an identifiable weakness with this team. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel really good heading into the playoffs. And especially given the sustainability of it, there was a stretch where the Bruins lost, I want to say uh, four games in a row um, a couple months ago. And it, like everybody was slamming the panic <laughs> button. And if that's the worst stretch that you have right. during an 82 game season, you're doing pretty good. 
They are 3-0 and against the Islanders, just in case you were wondering if the Islanders get into wild card two. Uh, so Boston hasn't even had any trouble with them. Pete Blackburn, Bally Sports, covers the uh, sport of hockey. I appreciate your time, man. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You got it. Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News, Hall of Fame college basketball writer, joins us on the Adam Gold Show. So we lose Purdue in round one. We lose Kansas in round two, more understandable. And actually, I want to talk about that because I think it goes back to a theory uh, that you have had before about uh, the type of talent that you don't want to see if you are a number one seed in in a 1-8 matchup or 1-9 matchup. Uh, But what has jumped out to you about this tournament so far? Honestly, I know this is not something that people love to talk about but what's jumped out at me is that the games have been far too physical and that and i suppose that that that's kind of playing to your audience to to an extent but the games have been far too physical and unevenly officiated and it's been a colossal disappointment from that respect right Uh, this is the first this is the first year for a new coordinator of officials and i don't think the officials have done uh, done well in this, and I don't know what the what they're. I, I, I always expect the first round to be fairly physical because you've got four games in one day in one building, and you have to get through them all. And you don't want everybody to be there until two o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> so I I get that. Uh, you expect that, and, and traditionally it has changed back to basketball, so to speak when you get to the second round because you only have to get two games in one day right. in the building. So that's not so hard, but the first, what that was the first or second game we saw on Saturday when Duke played Tennessee second game, second game on Saturday. Yep. And we were, when we were doing it again. And what's interesting about that, the, the fact that it came up in that game is, and I, I and I, I, I pointed out, that Tennessee was called for, I believe, 11 fouls in the entire game. Um, you know, that's just not realistic. I mean, that's not realistic for most teams. Right. But it's certainly not realistic for them. That's not how they play. I mean, they're, they're, their opponents shot more free throws than, than the vast majority of teams that played in college basketball this year. And when I was accused of hating on the SEC by people who, when I just all I did was point out the numbers there, and I did sort of add snarky little uh, comment that's right. a take, you know. Um, but when I was accused of hating on the SEC, and I'm like, who do you think calling all the fouls in the regular season? Do they hate the SEC too? Do the SEC reps who are taking the big checks from the SEC hate the SEC? No, they're seeing how Tennessee plays and they're calling the fouls. And Tennessee has, for the most part, persevered through that and won a lot of games right? because because it still works for them to make it uncomfortable for you to play against them. And it may have worked just as well on Saturday if the game had been called like a basketball game. And so when I, when I tweeted that, I subsequently saw Terrence Oglesby talked about it, Doug Gottlieb talked about it, yeah. and even the coach from Florida Atlantic made a comment that they're going to go he, – he did say this, too, after last night's game. He said they're going to go learn the rules of Australian rugby so they'll be ready for their Sweet 16 game. Yeah, it, w- it was a – it was a like, I termed it a fist fight. It just seemed like it was overly physical. Did it give Tennessee – I think it gives older players an edge. And Tennessee were, were grown-ups, 
and Duke was playing. Look, Kyle Filipowski is a great player, and uh, he plays a physical style too. And I'm not saying even that Kyle was at necessarily a disadvantage, but across the board, Duke doesn't have that kind of girth. Well, you know, honestly, it, that, those guys could all have been seniors, and it still would have been an advantage for Tennessee uh, because okay. that's how Tennessee plays. They're the number one defense in the country, even giving up the free throws that I talked right. about before. That that you, their the, their opposition, in terms of their percentage of points, is thirty fifth in the country. In they get they get twenty two free throw points a game. That's the thirty fifth. Uh, the thirty fifth. Um, I'm sorry, not twenty two. 22% of, right. their, of their points come from free throws. That's the 35th highest total in the country. And so they're used to it. They, yeah. they are accustomed to teams going to the line against them. But it's how it works for them. And the, the only problem that they had recently is that they lost games because after Zakai Ziegler went down, they, it, it became even more problematic right. for a team that has problems scoring uh, to score enough points. But if they can hold you to forty something, they can win fifty five to forty eight or whatever. That's yeah. that they're perfectly comfortable doing that. Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. So here and, and nationally with some columnists not named Mike DeCorsi, uh, there was a narrative that uh, Tony Bennett is not built for March. So uh, do you want to take a swing at that? There's one thing I will say is that I think that there are there is room for flexibility in the way Tony coaches in March. I I, I thought and, and I'll give you an example. When I watched the UMBC game live, I wasn't in person, but <laughs> right. when I was watching it live in a sports bar in Pittsburgh, I'm like, you got to press these guys. They they are willing to turn it over to you. They if you if you press them, they will hand you the ball and say do whatever with it. Yeah. That's how that's how un that's how that that's how grand the difference was physically between UMBC and 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 Virginia even without the Andre Hunter. They, when when they when they were bringing up the ball against uh, any pressure, they struggled. And at a certain point in that game, you have to say, "This is not working. We are not working. We are uh, we are this. We are good, but we are not working today." And it's the same thing that I saw on. Uh, in the in the Purdue game, that uh, I was watching uh, Braden Smith, who had a phenomenal freshman year. Guy was 198th in his class last year, right? And the, like the 36th point guard or something, <laughs> and he's borderline All Big Ten as a freshman. But he was just not he was not able to help on Friday night. And and coaches get caught up in this. They get caught up in the loyalty to what's worked, and they and they always. And they get to the point where they think it's going to work eventually because it always works. And I get that because they're coaches and it's their job that's on the line or their performance or whatever you want to call it. It's their, you know, they, it's not me sitting on press row or you sitting in, not you personally, but the fan <laughs> sitting in row 25 who, who has as much at stake as the coach. And the coach believes that eventually it'll work. And I will give you an example of where it can. I mean, I was watching the I was watching the uh, Northwestern Purdue game with my partner Rafael Davis on on Big Ten and Beyond, and we're both like Chase Adizis got he can't play in this game. I mean he was he was he wasn't making a shot like he he kept taking shots wasn't making anything, and then he made like the three biggest plays of the game down the stretch, 
So sometimes it works to stick with that. Yeah. But a lot of times it doesn't. And so, and right now with the, with the roles that those two coaches are, are not on, I guess you'd say, they, they need to be more flexible. Br- Braden Smith needed to not play down the stretch on Friday night. Uh, it, they needed to play faster from the, from the word go in, in the game on, on Thursday, Virginia did. Yeah. They need to play, you know, not, not pressing and run, but just use your physical advantages. You've got guys they can't get. And so, <laughs> yeah, you play this way and keep, you know, if you can grind them for 30 seconds on their possessions, fine. But then when you get the inevitable stop, get it out and go. And, and, and try to show them that you're physically superior. And then when you go back to playing another high major team that can't play the way you play, then go back to that. But they can't play at your level because they're not as talented as you if you play a faster game that, with more possessions that, that allows you to have the advantage. Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News is joining us here on the Adam Gold Show. How much of your final four is still intact? I'm down to Miami. Wow. Yeah. No, I still have I still have three or four. The only ones I love I, I lost cover years Blue Devils uh, yeah. were, was Duke. Same. That's the only team that I lost. I Same. I had Texas. I I have less faith in Texas now than I did when I made the pick. <laughs> Not because they played poorly, but because Houston played so well yeah. on Saturday night. I, I, I part of the reason I picked Texas was that that I was worried about Marcus Sasser, and I, and it mm-hmm. looked like I was right to be yeah. worried when they played the NKU game, but uh, then he was fabulous yep. in the Auburn game, and so they look really dangerous right now. It'll be interesting to see if they, they do play. I think it'll be an interesting game. Alabama certainly is still alive. I, I'm I'm puzzled as to how you passed over picking the the team that was given a layup line. Uh, to make the final four, how did you pass on them? Um, I don't know, cause I, cause I, what do I know? Actually, cause the last thing I saw was Arizona beat UCLA in the Pac-12 yes. championship game, and I really liked Arizona, even though that game, cause I think UCLA is a dynamite defensive team, and I thought Arizona kind of overcame that without playing great. Um, but I mean, I don't know how I didn't, I don't know, I don't know how I didn't pick Alabama. Alabama's great. <laughs> Alabama's great. I did. I had, I had him losing to uh, uh, who did I have him losing to in the Elite Eight? I had him losing to Arizona in the Elite Eight. So, right. what do right. I know? No, I just was curious what led you to that. Uh, <laughs> because you know, because because UCLA played. My my philosophy on that was UCLA played without two starters, and both their big guys fouled out, and it still took a but like yeah. a, a late shot for them to it, to prevail. And I thought. Oh, that team's not going anywhere. That okay. was my so it's look we both looked at the same data and came up with different responses. I should have called you first. I was my biggest <laughs> mistake was not just saying who do you have in the final four? And I actually also picked against Houston because I wasn't sure that Sasser would come back and right. I felt really good about my pick, not about that, because Sasser's a fabulous player and Houston is, you know, likely gonna be in the final four as long as he stays healthy. I don't know how you could leave the game injured two days before and then come back and look like you're a hundred percent. I don't know yeah. how that happens, especially with that injury, a groin injury. Yeah, I, I'm. I, it was a mystery to me. I would never have expected. And he played 31 minutes. He didn't just yeah. come in, bomb five threes in 16 minutes, and and put up a great number. He played 31 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was an it was an amazing recovery, no doubt.
All right, so you're staying. Well, you don't have Duke. So who is now, who's now coming out of the East? Well, gosh, I mean, I have no idea. That's the that that is the most wide open region now that we have, and so many people are home kicking themselves, th- looking at that, thinking that could have been us. Memphis sitting there thinking we could have been there. Uh, I I I don't know who 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 it is. I think it'll it it'll be interesting to see how Tennessee is officiated. Uh, on you know on th- on Thursday I guess I can't remember right. what day in the, in there I don't know either. Um, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they're officiated. It, it, if if they play, if they if it becomes you know um, if it becomes that kind of game, then certainly they they are at an advantage against anybody in the country because they've got multiple big guys uh, who can all they can lay fifteen fouls on you and everyone count. I mean. They make everyone count. Their fouls are not like, oh, I brushed by you. Uh, you know, last night I watched, I, watched, um, I watched Drew Timmy score a basket in which somehow his defender wound up completely out of the play as Drew Timmy laid the ball in and yet fouled him. I had, I'd never <laughs> seen that before. He was three feet away by the time the ball – and like, it seemed like he had no impact on Timmy at all, and yet it was called for foul. And I'm not saying there wasn't a foul. I'm just saying – how do you foul that badly that the guy doesn't even like make a move? I mean, it was like it was like me alone in a layup line, and and all of a sudden he's laying the ball in the basket. It's just I I'd never seen that before. Uh, that doesn't happen with Tennessee. If you're fouled, you're fouled. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows it. All right, real quick, uh, Arkansas, who's got I don't know how many future NBA players, as in what eight seed, right? They, they were an eight. I mean, they got Kansas because I think Arkansas has just got a bunch of really good players. They're very well coached, obviously, and Eric Musselman. Is that a seeding mistake, or how do you look at that? You know, I, I, I look at that as Arkansas, like, did everything they could to be a nine seed or an eight seed or whatever. Right. I mean, they, they worked their tails off to be an eight seed. <laughs> they, 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 and part of it was Nick Smith being injured. Right. Uh, that part was, was – uh, they, but they just couldn't get it together. Uh, in the final weeks, and even as Nick started to play more comfortably himself individually, he never really quite got it with the guys, and and so they were not good enough to be out of that game. They certainly couldn't have put him on a seven line. I, you could have put him on a ten, but it would have been like, hey, they weren't that bad, you know. So I, I just that's where they had to be, and it was a rough draw for Kansas, Woo. no doubt, because they, like you said. I mean, there are there are at least four guys on that team that are going to play in the NBA, yep. at least, and probably at least three that are going to be first-round picks and maybe two that are going to be lottery picks. And, uh-huh. and look, they lost a lottery pick to injury back in November or December, and they still are, are what they are. Yep. It, there's that much talent there. And Musselman is great. I really think he's a great coach. Uh, Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News at TSN Mike on Twitter. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Adam.